So shifting the narrative. Yay! One of my favorite um, times of the week, um, chatting with Torin about topics that just come to us based on experiences, circumstances, whatever happened, um, whatever we read. Um, so, Torin, what are we talking about today? Um, today, I want to speak about autism and learning disabilities and how autism isn't a learning disability, but you often find various learning disability and other uh, co-occurring conditions happening alongside the autism and how to sort of, I want to go into how to sort of parcel those and figure out which is which mm-hmm. and how they interact with each other. Great. That's a great topic. It's one I've never really thought about. So I'm excited that we're talking about it because as usual, I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> All right. Um, and I guess for me, um, this is a topic that that you thought of, Torin. Uh, can you share what sparked this topic? Um, what came? There is a sort of a debate. I wouldn't say a debate, but a, a discussion in the autism in the autistic community regarding things like uh, high and low support needs. Mm-hmm. And some people believe that there really isn't that autism itself doesn't come with high support needs. Oftentimes, and I do believe there's some validity to this, mm-hmm. oftentimes the high support needs are due to co-occurring conditions. Yes. And as a result, they use that to sort of wave away, in my opinion, wave away some of the downsides of being autistic. So I wanted to get on here with you, who you, you've worked with all autistic people of all stripes. And mm-hmm. really sort of discuss that. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, it's funny that you say that in terms of uh, the high needs and support needs. And I think that is a really, really good point in terms of it's not necessarily that, uh, you know, that whole spectrum of, you know, high functioning, low functioning or high needs, low needs. It's the other stuff that sometimes is there along with an autistic diagnosis that sometimes people forget about, or they don't realize that it's not directly connected to um, an autism diagnosis. You know, you can have, I have a kiddo who's down syndrome and autistic, right? Those two are separate things. Um, I will just share with the listeners uh, based on uh, what Torin said in terms of I work with a lot of kids over many, many years in many different places uh, who um, present differently, for lack of a better term, that um, have an autistic uh, autism diagnosis. But my background in speech therapy, I have worked with so many students who have learning disabilities and like various learning disabilities uh, that sometimes we don't even, um, we're not even aware of in the schools. And I will say what I always say, which is my autistic students were and are the easiest students to teach once you understand how they process information. And a lot of people do say, if you ask, like a lot of times, you know, new parents, if you ask them what is autism, a lot of times you'll hear, um, particularly dads will say, oh, you know, they learn real slow, right? And it's like, well, it's not really that they learn slow, they just process differently and they are giving it back to you in a way that is different from how you communicate. And a lot of times uh, teachers do not have high expectations because they assume our children are also intellectually delayed, which they are not. Um, And learning disability is separate. I have kids who have an autism diagnosis and they're also dyslexic. Two separate things, right? But how do you sort of weed through that? So speaking to a lot of like parents and teachers and caregivers, if you're listening to this, you probably have some base knowledge of autism. But for the sake of uh, argument, can what exactly is autism? Is it technically a, a cognitive disorder, a neurological disorder? We know it's not a learning disability, but what exactly is it classified as? So it's a neurological difference, (laughs) 
But yes, neurological disability, because we don't want to take away the fact that it is, um, it can be very disabling, especially if supports are not in place. However, when I explain it to parents in initially, right, because there's so many nuances, so many layers, and every child is different. When I, when I explain to parents in the sense that, you know, your child has a neurological system that processes differently than yours does. And even parents who are autistic themselves, it's still a different method, you know, different way of processing. But your child's processing in a different way. And imagine that you are trying to have, trying to make an iOS application work on an Android-based tablet. It doesn't. They don't communicate. They don't process the same. It's two different processing systems. That's why we either have Mac things or, um, is it Word? Is that what, no, you don't call it Word. What is it? Uh, Word. No, oh, Windows, oh, the, the word Microsoft, processor? Microsoft, Microsoft, Microsoft. Oh, Microsoft. Microsoft or um, uh, Apple Mac products. And the struggle is when we look at our kids as learners, we are communicating to them and expecting them to learn or to give information back in the way that we do, which is that sort of maybe traditional standardized way that, you know, we're tested, but our kids are picking up and learning everything. And a lot of things they're actually learning without us having to directly teach, which is why I say they are the easiest children I have ever taught um, in terms of, I never have to repeat. Uh, Everything is um, learned very quickly, very easily. And I'm not saying that, you know, Everybody's a savant and they're all geniuses. I'm saying when information is presented in the way that they process, then they do pretty well. And it's not a lot of work for me. The work for me is on the back end of observing and trying to recognize what works best for them. How do they process information and what supports do I need in order for them to show me what they know? And I I honestly think, and, and I'll stop and pause for a minute, but I honestly think this is one of the reasons why educators are so sort of standoffish when they get an autistic student, because there's no cookie cutter one thing. There's no cookie cutter one way. Um, every child, you know, may need different supports, but information's processed uh, differently, and you really have to understand the kiddo. Um, it's a lot of work on the back end, but once you do the work on the back end, I always say, it's easy once the kids get there. And what are some disorders, some learning disabilities or other sorts of disorders that you tend to see in autistic people? I will say a lot of times uh, I notice that just like all of us, we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? And for autistic students, sometimes it's very clear, right? Like, oh, they're really, really naturally into numbers. And then reading is always sort of like the struggle, vice versa. However, (laughs) it's not so much that the reading is a struggle. It's that the reading is not being presented in a way that's analytical based on the fact that there are numbers and they need analytical thinking. So you have to approach the reading in that manner in order to have them show you what they know. The other part of it is that, you know, a lot of times they'll say, oh, they have, you know, auditory processing, which sometimes is very prevalent um, in our kiddos and easy to pick up on. And sometimes it's just really tough because it's kind of a gray area, right? Is it the autism processing or is it really auditory processing difficulties? A lot of times uh, our kids, uh, I I don't see dyslexia a lot. Now, I've not worked with every single autistic child in the world, but I've worked with hundreds of children, um, probably thousands at this point, but I don't really keep count. And dyslexia is no more prevalent in autistic students than it is in non-autistic students, if that makes sense. No, I get that. But you do see, I'm sure you know this, you do see things like for example, dyslexia, uh, ADHD, mm-hmm. um, hyper I can't pronounce the name of it. The thing where you're sensitive to really loud noises, it's hyper oh, cause. Yes. Hyperkinesis. You'll see mm-hmm. those, uh, dyscalculia, which is issues with numbers. Yes. That's what I have. You tend to see, uh, down syndrome. 
you tend to see co-occurring learning disabilities and other mm-hmm. neurological disorders with autism, which leads me to a theory, which probably going to get me into a lot of trouble. I've already discussed this with you, and eventually we'll do an episode on this, where, in my opinion, autism is not an actual thing. Now, I'm not saying autistic people don't exist, or the struggles we have, or differences aren't real. They are. But autism isn't of it, in and of itself, in my opinion, is just a catch-all term for a series of neurological and learning disabilities that interact and map onto each other. The number of various differences and the types of various differences will vary per autistic individual. Mm-hmm. It's just easier to say autistic than to list six or seven different disorders. Yes. I have the same theory about ADHD. It's that That's why you see all this co-occurrence. Mm-hmm. What interests me, though, is how are, and I'd like you to, to explain the audience, what are some ways some of these disorders interact with each other? Because you mentioned the Mac and the PC. And I'm sure there are probably parents out there saying, well, my child isn't a different computer. My child's more like a different computer that sometimes won't turn on mm-hmm. or other times can only one can only run Microsoft Word. Or sometimes <laughs> you'll put in the command and won't do and it'll freeze for ten minutes before it actually does something. And then mm-hmm. keep, if you ever have a piece of technology that's about ready to crap out on you, like a cell phone, and yes. you keep trying to press an app and nothing happens, you press like five different times, nothing happens, mm-hmm. and suddenly Everything happens, mm-hmm. and you just want to throw your phone. I'm sure there's a lot of parents sort of feel like that at times with their kids. Mm-hmm. So could you go into how these different disabilities sort of interact with each other in this mm-hmm. thing we call autism? And um, that's really an interesting perspective, Torin, in terms of when you said um, the ADHD and dyscalculia. A lot of our kids sometimes, if educators are aware of it, will say that our kids have dysgraphia, Right. Oh, that's another one I've heard a lot, too. I'm not actually sure what that is, to be honest. Dysgraphia is a handwriting um, uh, sort of uh, nuanced disability, whatever, you know, the terminology is. uh, But it has to do with handwriting. And our kids sometimes struggle with fine motor tasks, right? But most of that is around the proprioceptive system, hand strength, right? All of these um, motor planning things that have to sort of go into navigating your environment. And I think that is where it interferes in the learning process, according to the standardized way of sitting in a classroom, that our children appear to have learning disability. When it's really, like you just said, I push the command button and nothing happens. Well, maybe nothing happens because I'm still processing the information from math and I can't take the reading right now because I'm still processing math and filing it in my brain where it needs to go so that I can recall it later when it's, you know, requested or when I have to use it. And, you know, executive functioning, right, gets in the way, right, Uh, with the learning process in regards to having a demand for kiddos to show what they know. Um, and, you know, I, and I, I, I say this and I'll say it until I, you know, close my eyes, easiest students ever. I have never, ever met any child that I've worked with outside of autism or, or anything else that could not learn. However, uh, teaching new skills, especially academic skills to autistic students is probably just easy once I figure out <laughs> how they process information, right? And I say easy in the sense of once I figure that out, I just have to present information. You and have I- the instruction manual on how they think. Yes, yes. Once I once I do that hard work, then the easy part is the day-to-day of just knowing how to present information. And, you know, that's why it's so frustrating with the standardized school system, because it's expected that every child output the same way, process the same way. Um, and that doesn't work for all kids. And, well, and honestly, well, that's because there's a lot of money behind standardized testing. Yes. And, and you know, I know we're talking about our, our um, autistic kiddos, but 
There are a lot of children that are being, you know, for lack of a better phrase, left behind, um, you know, no child left behind. But a lot of kids who don't have any diagnosis or IEP are also being left behind because they just think differently, right? But no one's looking at that. But that's a whole nother uh, podcast. I, I like what you mentioned about once you understand a child's needs. But now the part they don't tell you is it, once you have the instruction manual, it, it's quote unquote easy. And, and I think we all get what you mean to sort of teach autistic kids with, with different sorts of uh, learning processes. The problem is the manuals written in Moonspeak. Yes. Yes. And that in and of itself is the challenge. Like I said, I, I'm fond of saying only, I'd say, in the last year or so mm-hmm. have I finally managed to sort of decipher my own mm-hmm. instruction manual as an autistic person and be mm-hmm. like, oh, that's how this works. Mm-hmm. But one thing you've sort of been alluding to this entire episode is that a lot of what we call co-occurring, that's not the word they use. They use comorbidity. I just refuse to use that because I don't yes. like the term. You don't die from being autistic. You don't oh, die yeah. from having from having ADHD. But that's neither here nor there. A lot of these co-occurring conditions, in your opinion, aren't really co-occurring conditions at all. They're just differences in how the autistic person processes information. And because the manual is written in moon speak, mm-hmm. the closest thing a lot of teachers and doctors are able to to uh, to sort of suss out from that is, oh, they have a learning disability. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And just like a lot of our kids are, are given IQ test and, and it shows that they're intellectually delayed. And I'm like, uh, no, this child is not intellectually delayed. I will give you a perfect example of kids being tagged as having um, either learning disability, uh, you know, whether they say auditory processing, whether they say, oh, it's, you know, reading below level. When children are tested on given reading tests, right? You know, everybody has a reading curriculum. Most people have it where they use it. And then, you know, six to eight weeks, you assess the kids to see if they're going up to the next level. Some of those uh, curriculums require children to identify phonics. As a speech therapist, when I ever have any student who has an articulation, communication, difference, delay, whatever it is that we're working with, I tell the teachers, we're not going to push phonics. This is not going to work for them right now, right? They're just going to learn sight reading and they do just fine with that. So for my autistic students, what I find is because I understand the concrete thinking, when someone says, this is the word cat, and the teacher says, what's the sound of the first letter? My autistic students thinking, okay, we just read the word cat. Why do we have to break down the sounds? The whole point is reading the word, right? And I've actually had a student tell me this. Makes total sense to me. So for some of our kids, breaking down the whole, it it doesn't make sense. It's not how they process. And, you know, I love the honesty of them blurting it out or throwing the chair to indicate it's not working for them. Um, So we have to understand that. So that's where the conversations that I have with teachers is we're not going to, well, let me, let me hold that conversation with teachers. So the phonics, right? So they're like XX, they can't do the phonics. And then they ask our kids to read out loud. Well, a lot of our kids are maybe verbal. Uh, They can't always read out loud fluently, but they can read silently. So then that's checked against, they can't read fluently. Right. So all these things are checked against them. And now they're like two grade levels below in reading. But then when I give them, you know, a book to read or a reading comprehension test and say, do you want to read silently or out loud? They're reading like above level because I'm allowing them to do it in a way that processes, which is not me interrupting, allowing them to read silently. And to be honest, there are a lot of people in the world who read and skip over words or read, scan, read very fast because they can and they don't need to say every word out loud. And they really understand exactly what they read. Yeah, that, that's how I read, too. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not a particularly quick reader, but I read off comprehension more yeah. than, like, being able to sound stuff out. Yeah. One thing, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, concrete. Have you noticed in all your time teaching autistic kids around the world, have you noticed certain similarities in how autistic people learn like certain traits or certain methods that tend to work with autistic people. 
I will say, you know, anybody who knows me and hears me talk about visual supports, I find that visuals are very helpful. And even if a student doesn't rely on the visual, I always think it's great backup, right? Just like I use my GPS on my phone. I know it's exit 34, but I still have my phone map up just in case for backup, right? That's my visual support. So visuals are very helpful for our kids, but also organization and structure around teaching the activity. So so giving something to a child and having it organized in a way that leaves out all the extra words that are abstract because that concrete literal processing works really well for them. Um, a lot of times when you're, when you're, you know, reading a comprehension question, something like as simple as this, if you say, which one does not show the weather cold, that is like overload for <laughs> autistic students because you just said which one and then now it's not and now I have to reverse and it's like, whoa, that's just too much, right? Uh, so those are questions that I don't, I don't give to my students. I reword it so that it is not including the word not and they still have to demonstrate the whatever concept they're supposed to be demonstrating. The other thing that I will say that I think works really well for our kids is I know that people think if you keep doing something over and over and over and over again, that it helps. <laughs> but if our kids demonstrate it one time, two time, they have it, move on. And the frustration comes where they're provided with the same thing, the same skill set over and over and over again. And then, of course, now it's a behavior issue. And it's because I've already done that, been there. Can we move on to the next thing? And these are things that I'm not just saying out of my head, right? These are things that I have seen students, I have noticed, and I've been told directly by students, why do we have to read this story five times this week? We already read it twice. We already answered the questions. Why do we have to read it again? Well, the reality is we have to read it again because there are five other kids in the classroom who still don't get it, right? So that's why the teacher has to do it every day, but we're not considering the learner who has picked up on the concept needs to move on to something else, and we're making them repeat the same thing over and over again. It's frustrating. And. Um yeah, and I think you you might you point out an issue in inclusion, but we're we're not going to go there for this no. episode. <laughs> I, we kind of already have gone there, and we're going to go back there again. That's for sure. But my next question is: Surely, some autistic kids, a good deal at least, do have legitimate diagnosable learning disabilities. Of course. I, for one, have dyscalculia. Yes. Um, I have issues with numbers where if you try to give me numbers, mm-hmm. more than like one or two of them, mm-hmm. I'll forget it within 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. I also have issues where numbers tend to flip around. If I'm looking at like 342, it'll say like 324. Yeah. It's really annoying. Um, as a result, it's the, re- it's the reason I'm so terrible at math. I was never diagnosed because mm-hmm. I've been very good at sort of math, unfortunately, in this case, of sort of masking my deficiencies. But clearly, I have a massive deficiency in this. Anyone who's ever taught me math, for example, can see that. I also, as I've mentioned before, I spell at less than a second grade level. Mm-hmm. My question is, how can you tell where the autism ends and where the learning disabilities begin? Oh, that's a great question. All right. Um, My simple solution is if you provide support and you provide strategies in a way that, you know, like, you know, visual supports, using highlighter, organizing things, putting the lesson in structured way, right? Um, For some kids, maybe minimizing how much is on the paper, depending on the kiddo. If you do all those things and you still see the students struggling, then you have to say, okay, we need to look at something else, right? We provided those things that we know work really well for our autistic students. Still, students still struggling. What do we need to um, look at differently? And I will, I will definitely say, Torin, I, uh, I went through school as a speech pathologist and worked as a speech pathologist at a time where we 
had training on learning disabilities, where we learned about those things. That's not being discussed in schools anymore. There rarely do you see someone who even knows what dyslexia looks like in a classroom. Um, I was just, you know, a lot of people always, in fact, I think I sent you a message. Someone was saying, oh, you know, what schooling did you know? What degree did you get to do what you do? And it's not just about what pieces of paper or what college I went to. It's about training, experience, and working with students one-on-one trying to figure out how they are learning and recognizing what specific learning disabilities look like. I really wish we we need to like cut that clip. I'm sorry I've cut you off. We need to like cut that clip and just play it on loop at like every every teaching university in the country because there's a lot of people who don't understand it. They think, okay, I have the degree. I passed certifications. Mm -hmm. I'm a teacher now. I'm a therapist now. My word is law. I know everything. Yes. And I, I just wish we, we we could like can that clip and just sort of like, you know, those cans have those snakes in it and you pull a thing and the snake <laughs> jumps out. We can almost have that like, like, like one of those beats boom boxes that yeah. we could just play whenever like a therapist or a teacher mm-hmm. in school is saying, I know what I'm doing and they're clear, mm-hmm. they clearly don't. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, but. No, no, no. And I know that some places, you know, may not have resources. However, these days I just don't, you know, my pushback is always we have the Internet. We have the Internet. Like you can literally become a specialist in anything if you put enough time on the Internet. Well, I I went on the Internet and it told me um, I could cure COVID by taking horse paste. Oh, well, look at that. See, learn something new every day. I know, right? (laughs) To, 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 To quickly just sort of like summarize in terms of strategies that work visuals are great structure is awesome uh sometimes you have to shift the way it's presented and and i say that because if you look at worksheets that are given to children some of them are very visually disorganized some of them are very there's no boundaries you don't know what it's like what do i do where do i go next and if you present things to kiddos whose systems don't process in a manner that can take that and pull it apart and figure out where they're supposed to go, it really, really is difficult for them. And so then they appear as if they don't know or they can't do it. And then all the other things happen. I will, I don't know if I listed, I know we've been talking sort of about which ones I've seen and which ones that we see commonly, you know, yes, Down syndrome, autism, um, auditory processing, autistic ADHD, autistic. I have um, one kid. Oh my gosh. uh, Poor baby. She has dyslexia. She has um, a motor disorder. She's autistic. I mean, she has like a whole potpourri of things, right? That are clearly you can distinguish. But when you're working with her, you do have to figure out which strategy for this particular activity, because she does have a lot going on. So she's one of those kiddos that, um, you know, you have to really understand each of the the sort of uh, learning nuances that she's she's working with. I I had a uh, I don't know if I've told a story, so let me tell a story. I came across this um, oh my gosh, just most fun, uh, cutest little strong willed uh, four year old when I was working in a school district, and he was an autistic child who was born with two eyes and he had cancer in one eye and it had to be removed. And then he had cancer in another eye and it has to be removed. So when I met him, he was four years old. He had no eyes because he had cancer. And of course it's like, okay, what do we do? Like visual learner, visual learner, right? Like, what do we do? (laughs) And I'm like, okay, like, what do we do? Well, fortunately, um, you know, he had a wonderful visual impaired teacher who wanted to pair up with um, an autism specialist. So we worked together and came up with strategies for him based on blindness and autism, right? Like, all, first of all, he's got to learn how to navigate the world without sight. Then he's got to learn how to navigate the world as an autistic individual who's learning to communicate and then process sensory information. Uh, very, very strong-willed um, kiddo. Um, his parents had a great sense of humor, uh, but of course, it was one of those situations where it's like, gosh, he's like visually impaired, blind, and autistic. Like, what? Like, what do you like? Oh my gosh! Like, uh, uh, why is this happening? And 
I've worked with kids who are blind and there are a lot of sensory movements or sensory based movements that you'll see uh, blind children uh, demonstrate. And sometimes people will think, oh, they might be autistic as well. But of course, typically if there's no communication delay issue nuance, then that kind of like crosses that out, right? It's just the visual impairment um, and maybe some sensory. And now I'm rambling. <laughs> I, I was, it's not rambling at all. I think that's an excellent story. And it's sort of, it actually coincidentally leads into my next question. And one of the reasons I'm asking so many questions in this particular episode is my experience is more based around, of course, I've lived experience as mm-hmm. a relatively low support needs individual. I hate to say I'm low support needs because I'm kind of not. I've just learned to adapt through a complete lack of I wouldn't say a full lack, but a lack of support from things like social workers and things like that. I've had families help me, of course. But just from where I've come from, uh, insurance doesn't cover very much when you're poor. Mm-hmm. But my experience, both lived and with the children I've worked with, hasn't been with a lot of people with learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. The co-occurrences that my experience is, is more towards uh, mental illness, yeah. uh, neurological disorders, things like bipolar and depression and OCD, which also co-occurs. But the question I was going to ask, and I'm glad you brought about the blind kid, is what are ways in which we talked about where is the autism and where is the the learning disability begin? What are ways that the autism and learning disability interact with each other? You already mentioned one with the the blind Mm -hmm. kid and Mm -hmm. the strategies you have to use. For example, with me, one of the reasons, ironically enough, I can read social cues relatively well, enough to pass as neurotypical, at least in that department, mm-hmm. is because I was born with uh, mostly deaf in my right ear. As a result, I've had to learn how to read lips mm-hmm. because I can't hear. So reading lips has helped me because if you're reading lips, you're also reading facial expressions. So mm-hmm. that's helped me get good at reading facial expressions and associating them with certain emotions and thoughts and what the person is thinking, yada, yada, yada. That's a way two of my disabilities interact with each other. So both mm-hmm. the hearing loss and the autism interact with each other. What are some examples you've seen where the disabilities sort of interact in, it does not be bad or good, but yeah. what are ways they've interacted um, and, and I'm hoping I'm answering your question. Uh, I just thought of another example in terms of a student that I worked with that was called to the school. This was an autistic young man and uh, maybe 11, 12. And he was at the school for the deaf because sign language was the communication method that he used. And it was a challenge for him and a challenge for the school because the school was designed for deaf children. Right, it was not designed for autistic kiddos, and it was a struggle for him to navigate needing number one his sensory needs met, which the reason I was called because God forbid he would never take off his hoodie jacket, right? Never would take off the long sleeve hoodie jacket. So that's a huge behavior issue that somebody needs to be called in for when <laughs> just let him keep on his stupid jacket. Like seriously. Um, anyway. But that was a, an example of a child who had clearly needed to be in a place where sign language was accessible to him. And he also had access to talk to peers who use sign language because it would be unfair to say, well, let him stay in an autistic classroom or let him stay in an inclusion classroom and have an interpreter. Well, then that limits who he gets to interact with. Now he can only interact with his interpreter. Well, that's not very fun or fair. So the decision was made for him to go to the school for deaf. And and he was very, very good with sign language and um, very good at using harsh cuss words in sign language, which um, a lot of those kids, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a classroom with uh, or school for the deaf, but it's a very loud environment, very loud environment. Yeah. Yeah, we played a uh, in our sports league in high school. We played a school that was uh, mute and deaf kids mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of uh, a lot of you could tell they were cursing because of how rigorous their sign language was. Yes, 
Ironically enough, they they were one of the best teams in the league. Like they kicked our asses and everything. <laughs> so the struggle for him in the overlap is that the school is presenting information for children who are deaf, right? Sign language, um, making sure that the kids, you know, had everything in terms of uh, stuff on the board visually. But this child was also autistic and needed a little bit more structure and organization and more visual supports on his individual independent work, right? Because he was an autistic kiddo. And so that was what I ended up helping them with because I was like, we're not going to work on taking the jacket off. Like he can wear his jacket. I'm not even going to fight that battle because it's sensory reasons he does it and just let him wear his jacket. And and also the backpack for, for weight. But that is a, 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 a not a common situation. Um, a more common situation would be a kiddo who has auditory processing or dyslexia. You have to figure out where where the strategies are needed for dyslexia and where the strategies are needed for autism. And my proactive brain says, put it all out there. They will use what they need. Just put it all out there and they will use what they need. And the other thing I will say, Torin, that just popped in my head is, you know, I say, you know, oh, you have to figure out your kids. Oh, you have to understand your students and how they process. Oh, you know, as a parent, you need to know how your child's the best learner. You know what I did a lot? And it doesn't matter if a child was verbal or not verbal. A lot of times I just looked at the student and said, what do you need? What do you want me to do? Like, seriously, kids know what they need. They really do know what they need. And a lot of times you get your answers directly from them or they seek it out, but then we try to take it away, but they're actually communicating. I need this. I need this, right? I need this visual support or I need, you know, uh, this to be explained to me or shown to me or whatever it is that, that our kiddos need. Uh, the dysgraphia, and I'm, I'm saying dysgraphia because I, I'm not an expert on dysgraphia, uh, but I know that it is a specific, um, you know, assessment that's needed to to say if it's if, if it is dysgraphia. But I feel that our our kiddos, instead of trying to fix the handwriting, instead of trying to get them to write their name better. Just use supports and technology is amazing. There are so many ways for us to be able to show what we know. And the reality of it is, you know, I know some people love handwriting, but I can say I never use a pen unless I have to sign my name. Everything, job applications, every job, everything is using typing skills and being able to navigate a keyboard. And that is a very important skill. And so our children are not missing out on anything. They're not at a disadvantage if they use technology for support because their handwriting is just a struggle. Um, why are we going to keep doing that over and over again? Just let them do it on technology. No, exactly. And that that's a pet, one of my many, 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 many pet peeves is this insistence on handwriting and things mm-hmm. like that when everything is done over tech. One thing I want to do before we go is I want to tell a little story with sort of a perfect example of where autism meets other disabilities. Ooh. I mentioned a couple minutes ago, our high school, one of the teams we played was School for the Mute and Deaf. I don't believe they were a school for autism and ADHD, just the mutant deaf. They were otherwise neurotypical. They just couldn't hear. And I, I think this is an interesting story because it, it kind of gave them an unfair advantage because they could. we had a bunch of autistic children in our school. Mm-hmm. So as a result... They, some of us like me, struggle with processing issues. So we're given an advantage, but th- this is going to be have some uh, baseball terminology. So I apologize. So we were playing a game of baseball, and I am on second base, and we have our absolutely worst hitter at the plate. <laughs> By the way, I was the second worst hitter. This is the bottom of the lineup here. I don't know how the hell I got second base because I was I was pretty bad. Anyway. The worst hitter comes up, swings the ball, hits the ball. It rolls about 10 feet up the first baseline and stops. It rained, pre- it rained that day, so the ground was kind of soft. So it rolls along the, the, the white chalk line mm-hmm. and stops. Now, if a ball is touching the chalk, that's mm-hmm. a fair ball. So this stopped. 
So what you're supposed what what the catcher accused the closest should have done was just walk over, pick it up, and throw the first base. Mm-hmm. The umpire either wasn't aware this was a deaf school or didn't care, and I suspect didn't care because he'd done a lot of shady stuff up to this point. So he simply screams, "Fair ball, fair ball." Mm-hmm. I hear fair ball, so I move third base. Mm-hmm. The batter hears fair ball. He starts he starts running no matter what because he made contact. He sees that he hears fair ball. The umpire did not do enough to get in front of the catcher's face. Remember, these kids are deaf. Yes. To, and indicate, because there's a hand sign indicating fair ball. Mm-hmm. But he said it from behind the catcher. So the catcher ah. couldn't see him. Mm-hmm. So as a result, the catcher and the pitcher both stood over the ball, looking at it, thinking it was a foul ball. Because they couldn't hear him. Meanwhile, I round third, which is a dumb move in that situation. You don't take two bases on a dribbler that goes 10 feet. My issue is I have processing issues because mm-hmm. I'm autistic. Mm-hmm. So things can tend to happen a little bit too fast. So then I pass third and stop halfway between third and home. Anybody mm-hmm. who knows anything about baseball, that is the worst thing you could do. That's <laughs> almost sheer fire out. But they're still standing there. And then I realized, because they were still standing there, it gave me time to process Oh, they don't hear the umpire saying that. So I ran home and they only realized the fair ball and they saw me cross home plate. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then the batter ends up on second base. He, he walked, he didn't run, he walked to second base. All because the umpire didn't do enough to uh, accommodate those kids' needs. Mm-hmm. And I got very, very lucky that it gave me time to process what was going on. Because I was notorious for getting picked off base. Because mm-hmm. I just couldn't... Pro- sports happened fast. And I just couldn't... I didn't have the ability to process things fast enough. So it gave me time to process and score. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me of that. Because we were talking about this. And you mentioned the deaf kids. And it reminded me of that little story. Mm-hmm. And then the amount of... This is how I know they were current. Because the amount of violence in their sign language... <laughs> Cursing is a universal language. You can yes. tell. Because the yep. whole team, was they were mad at each other. They were mad at the umpire for not indicating. By the way, this umpire would do things like show up drunk to games. He would be on his cell phone during the games. Um, he would insult the players. <laughs> like, talk shit. Like, he would, he, he would talk smack about the players um, during the game. He was terrible. And But the, the, the anger in the sign language... Yeah. You almost felt bad for them. But yeah. I just, the reason I want to tell that, and I'm sorry for all the sports talk, I tried to simplify as much as I can, is it shows an example of what happens both when needs aren't accommodated, mm-hmm. in the case of these players, mm-hmm. and what happens when needs are accommodated, in my case, through sheer yeah. accident, Yeah, I got the time to process what was going on. Yes. I, I have to um, uh, piggyback on your, your story and, and share that. When I was trying to become proficient in sign language, uh, as I love to volunteer for things all the time, but I volunteered at a camp for the deaf that they would bring their siblings. And so I would stay up all night with the siblings learning sign language and then practice during the day. And one of the things I did was teach canoeing and lifeguarded the pool. Now, I will tell you that when you're a lifeguard, (laughs) you give verbal commands. (laughs) Stop! Get off the side! Don't run. (laughs) When you're lifeguarding deaf children, there's no verbal commands heard. By the time you get the attention of the person who you have to say stop, it's done. So it was hysterical um, because it was like, okay, how do you like lifeguard without a whistle, right? There's no one to hear the whistle. Uh, Now, like I said, I was volunteering. Do you just run along the poolside, just back and forth, just flying off sign language the whole Actually, time? I would have to get the attention of someone near and sign to them to get the attention of the person who I need. It was just Stro- hysterical. Strobe lights? Yeah, it was really funny. And the canoe, the canoeing instruction was a little easier because you could at least sign across from the lake if they could still see you, but had to do a lot of rescuing. Um, so All that- you got to do with the canoe is just do the rowing motion and then <laughs> signal if you don't row, point the water, you're going into the water. Going into the water. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Well, what long... they could use for the pool is they could just use like strobe lights. Oh my gosh! I have to it'd, be like, it'd be like a club. Just hope no I one has epilepsy. Thought of that. Like I said, I was volunteering at a camp, um, and I'm quite sure that there's a, a much more efficient uh, system that works. I will. I will close out my comments with thoughts that I'd like everyone to uh, to I'd like to leave everyone with, and. 
we, we're talking about autism, learning disabilities. Autism is not a learning disability, but then there's some gray areas when there are other things that are going on and how do we distinguish which is which. What I will say is it really doesn't matter what it is, what it could be, what it looks like. It really matters in terms of what works best for the student and trying to figure that out and making sure that's in place uh, so that our children can show what they know. And, and sometimes having to let go of things that we think are important for kids to learn that really are not, right? And focus on the things that really are important for them to learn and demonstrate. Yes, I totally understand. I get it. The schools want this. The schools want this. But this is why we're having this podcast. If we all start talking about it, if we start shifting the narrative about the expectations around what our kids learn, how they demonstrate what they've learned, then we can make some changes so that it's a little bit, um, it's not about being easier, just it's just better supports are in place and, and not dealing with the unnecessities that can get kids who have learning differences, who have um, communication differences, don't get tagged or or labeled, and I'm not against labels, um, as a learning disabled child when that's not really what's going on. And to understand autistic individuals, specifically our children who are early learners in the school, they process differently. And you may ask a question and for you, you may, you know, one of my simple question, you know, what is your favorite animal, right? Random question, but people ask things like that all the time. Favorite animal at the zoo. And when someone asks me that question, I immediately think, oh, I love giraffes, right? Immediate. That's my connection. Favorite animal, giraffe. For my autistic student, it could be zoo. I went to the zoo and I remember I went to the zoo. Oh my gosh, I loved when I went to the zoo. And this is in their mind, right? This is not them talking out loud. I went to the zoo and oh, I really loved at the zoo. I had that popcorn. That popcorn was really good. Oh, and then the popcorn, we had the popcorn before we went to the blah, 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 blah. And then we stopped at the lion cage and the lion cage and oh, we got to see the birds. My favorite animal at the zoo, uh, the penguins, right? Now that may take five, seven seconds. During that five, seven seconds, that child is trying to process, making the connections in the way they connect things. And then what do they get? What's your favorite animal at the zoo? Tell me your favorite animal at the zoo. Like constant bombardment, right? Instead of allowing them to process the way they do and connect things to come up with the answer. And we would know what their favorite animal is. And and I'm saying this based off of little bits and pieces I've gotten from my students, my experiences with students, but also things I've heard, um, you know, autistic individuals say when they have presented or on panels or whatever that is. Does that make sense, Torin? Oh, I, I think it makes it makes sense to me. I'm, I'm sure it makes sense to most people listening. <clears throat> but before we go, I must press you Ooh. to answer the first Ooh. question I asked, which you partially answered, but um, I'd like a little bit more clarity. Okay. So many people believe, especially in the autistic community, that a lot of the high support needs that are associated with autism are actually the result of co-occurring learning disabilities Mm -hmm. and not a result of autism. Basically saying autism itself is not high support needs. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Um. I just love that Torin challenges me. I don't know if it's a matter of agreeing or disagreeing. I think there's a lot of validity around that because our brains are not just this is this and this is this and this is this. Like it doesn't work that way, right? Everything kind of overlaps and is integrated. And if we think about, so what I think I'm you're asking from me is, is autism as a diagnosis um connected to higher support needs or is it having autism diagnosis and other stuff leading to higher support needs yes okay all right um i actually think it's separate things 
because when I think of an autistic kiddo, autistic individual, no learning differences that are disabilities or significant, whatever, you know, especially those kids who, you know, taught themselves three languages by five or, you know, on second grade math, you know, those kids who are not every kid, but there are kids that are are doing that. Those kiddos don't have any learning glitches, disabilities, significant delays, but they have a lot of needs. They need a lot of support in the classroom because simply the way they process information, the way they creatively think about information does not fit into the structure of the traditional classroom or the way kids are taught, even in a homeschool setting, if you're using a curriculum. So for me, it's really, and and I say that because there are lots of times when you have kids who are in an inclusive setting that because they are academically proficient or they excel academically or they test really high, those kiddos struggle because they need a lot of support to navigate the sensory or the instructions or the way things are presented. If you just probably let them sit in a room and go on a computer and do it on their own in their own way, they'd probably just blossom, right? Does that make sense? Yes. And as we mentioned, I believe in our, I want to say our last podcast, possibly, mm-hmm. maybe the one before that, we mentioned there are a lot of kids who are very good academically, for example, who you wouldn't classify as having learning disabilities who have really high support needs, but people see them score really high in the standardized tests. They're like, yep, guys, we don't, they don't need help. We're good. Exactly. 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 And, and the other part is when children, when students have supports in place and then they start getting, you know, scores that everybody deems as acceptable, then they start taking away their supports. Now they no longer qualify for support. Uh, yes, because because their because their entire existence yeah. is based off standardized tests. So yeah. basically, um, and this is sort of not related, but sort of is related. Right before we go, generally for autistic people, your level of autism is based off how well you do on academics on standardized tests, especially in America. That's when you're a kid. Then once you're an adult, your level of autism is based on how much money you make. But that's a topic for a different day. We're over time. We need to get out of here. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Stacey, for putting up with all my questions. I learned a lot. I hope everyone here learned a lot. And we'll see you guys next time. We may have to do part two. Thanks, Torn. We might have to do part two, definitely. I appreciate the challenging questions as well. See ya. Bye.